Welcome to today's computing podcast with me, computing technology analyst Peter Gothard. Today we're looking into enterprise cloud security and whether we're doing enough to protect our businesses in the cloud environment, whether the cloud is really, as is popularly believed, less secure than on-premise. Basically, how can we ensure our cloud is secured as well as it can be in the enterprise? So joining me today to talk about this um, is Anish Chohan, who's Director of Equilibrium Security Services, and Eves Mertens, who's Director of Cybersecurity for EMEA at Cisco. Thanks for the introduction, Peter. Yes, as you quite rightly said, I'm Anish Chohan. I'm the owner and director of Equilibrium Security Services. Um, as a security-focused company, we've been delivering security solutions for a number of years now, and it's, we've been doing it for businesses of all sizes. And in recent years, we've seen some incredible changes, and, and hopefully we'll be able to impart some of that uh, experience and knowledge on, uh, on you today. Thanks, Anish. Um, also, I guess it's worth um, pointing out that you guys have actually set up a, a special area of your website uh, to kind of deal with this podcast and further information around the topics. And I think people can find that at www.equilibrium-security.co.uk forward slash podcast. Um, I also believe people can uh, call you directly if they want to talk to you uh, and they can get you on 0121 663 on their telephones. That's absolutely right. Excellent. So, um, Anish, just staying with you here, um, perhaps you'd like to start off maybe by giving us just in a couple of minutes uh, your, your personal view really of the, the current state of play in cloud security, maybe how things are looking at the moment for the average enterprise operating out of the UK. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's no doubt that the cloud computing model is a fundamental part of any organization, really. Um, I mean, I recall no less than sort of seven or eight years ago, maybe, that cloud computing model was being seen as a bit of a buzzword and people were talking about moving to the cloud with, with real business decision makers using this word and perhaps not necessarily knowing exactly what that meant. Whereas reality, undertaking data center storage and computing and networking and the security around that, which is fundamentally what cloud computing comprises, it is something that's been the, the, the part of businesses and the strategy, really, for the best part of 20 years. Where I believe cloud computing has really gained some kind of mass adoption is, is as businesses have moved their IT infrastructure costs from a CapEx model to, to, to an OPEX, you know, an operating expenditure model, where they they don't want capital tied up necessarily in assets and licenses that are going to depreciate over the years. Whereas actually the cloud computing model means that software updates and new features can all be handled by the cloud computing provider. So they're not, they haven't got that money tied up and it's not, it's much more flexible. And, and that's why it's gained such mass adoption from small and large businesses alike. Sure. So yeah, there's lots of positives in fact, you know, you've got a certain amount of agility really with, with buying into it. I mean, maybe if we, if we dial back a bit then and look really at what the key issues security-wise actually are in the cloud and, and what steps organizations can be taking to mitigate those risks, you know, using these these um, cloud solutions. Um, Eves, can you tell us a bit more about what security, what is actually happening in the cloud at the moment, what people should watch out for? Yeah, so maybe uh, Anish and Peter, let me first introduce myself. So I'm uh, Eve Mertens, uh, um, Director of Cybersecurity in EMER and leading basically the, the go-to-market uh, for uh, our partners uh, in EMER. So, um, yeah, coming back, it's, uh, it's a pretty exciting and hot topic at the moment, uh, everything what's happening in the cloud. And like Anish was uh, mentioning uh, very correctly, um, you can see today uh, our enterprises or even smaller customers moving uh, basically um, 
yeah, the, their applications into the cloud. And uh, so you will, you, what you see today, it's not all moving to the cloud. It's, uh, it's, it's what I would see in a lot of customers and hybrid solutions uh, where you will have uh, environments, um, environments on-premise and also uh, environments uh, in the cloud that need to intercommunicate in a certain way. So back to your question, Peter, about uh, um, the, the, yeah, the, the, the issues related um, into the cloud in, uh, in the security is that uh, I think um, because we are using cloud providers there, I think we have a shared responsibility on risk. Uh, and it's it's clear that today with uh, the complexity of uh, malware uh, which is around there uh, provided by our attackers um, that we need to be uh, uh, watching out on that and i, I would um, the the phenomenon that i'm seeing today is uh, related to uh, ransomware malware uh, there is always um, uh, elements like suspicious behavior uh, we have the the compromised accounts and then also the, um, the data breach compliance um, that are elements where we need to look into. But uh, for me, it's important that uh, it's not uh, because you defining an, um, an environment uh, as a customer uh, in the cloud that uh, um, you, you, yeah, you don't have any responsibility anymore on uh, what hackers are doing today. I think it's a shared responsibility and that's what we need to take care. And I think in the company uh, themselves, they need to be in a, a firm way of education to go on with um, with what people can do and um, may do, yeah? I mean, I, I think, you know, maybe less so now, but, but certainly there, there may still be a core of people who, you know, they they just think that moving to the cloud automatically solves this problem, automatically kind of outsources this problem to, you know, to their cloud provider. But I guess that's not really the case, right? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there is there's, there is an enormous wave of belief that, that the cloud offerings, yeah. such as kind of you know Microsoft Office 365 as an example, to, to, to use a, a fairly common one, um, means that security information, the security of that information, is being processed and is being taken care of. But in actual fact, it couldn't really be further from the truth. Um, there was a phrase that was used quite a few years ago, but but I, I think it's still resonant now. Is that the cloud? There's no such thing as a cloud per se. It's just somebody else's computer. Um, and so you wouldn't really relinquish all your responsibility of information on the computer just because it's in somebody else's possession. Um, you know, there, there, there is definitely that wave of belief, and absolutely, that's it, it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, and especially with GDPR coming in, which I mean, we'll talk about a bit more in, in another podcast. But um, you know, we're getting to a point now where ever just saying, "Well, that's someone else's problem because it's gone over there," is just is no longer an excuse. That's absolutely right. Yeah, indeed. So how do hackers typically get in? And then what happens when they do? The, the hackers typically get in the same way, generally speaking anyway, as they would whether the services are hosted on-premise or in the cloud. Um, and that's because yeah, the biggest form of business compromise is, is still, it's still you can sort of boil it down to two main areas, and that's email and, and web links. So so hackers, their the biggest attack surface really is sort of unsolicited email. So they might be sending an email, um, a victim, gets taken to a website where that might be either hosting malicious software um, or it might be like a landing page where they can harvest confidential information for, for sale on the dark web. Um, it, it, these are still the most common forms of attack. Um, so really, whilst whilst we have moved um, information to the cloud, we're still accessing it using email and we're still accessing it using web links. So the fact that it's on-premise or not doesn't doesn't change that too much, really. 
So, I mean, um, let's let's maybe talk about ransomware a little bit. Um, if I was to ask, you know, in the event of a ransomware attack, what should the organization do? Should they pay the ransom, in fact, or should they try to recover the data? And if they do pay, I mean, do they risk being on the hook forever? Um, Eve, I, I don't know if you've got some thoughts on, on this. Absolutely, Peter. For me, um, yeah, a ransomware, um, you don't need to pay the ransom. Um, I think companies um, need to educate their people on the risks of ransomware and uh, making sure they can recover. Um, so for me, everything is about proactivity uh, today. And um, uh, just to give an, as an advice, um, certainly like Cisco, we're working with partners and Equilibrium, one of them, um, they have practices in place uh, on services where they can assess basically the, the security um, level of a company. And I can tell you they will come up, if they see gaps, they will come up with a recommendation on how to protect a company from, um, from ransomware. So, uh, Anish, I don't know if you want to add something on that, but I think that's, um, that's the way you're going as well, yeah? Yeah, spot on ease, really. I mean, the, the, the key, the, so the question, at the very top is should they pay the ransom absolutely not um if you do there's always conversations and forums that take place on the dark web um you, the company's going to find themselves on that list uh, and on a list of, of of targeted companies because they pay and, and ultimately you are paying because you haven't got your proverbial ducks in a row you haven't got good backups you haven't got good security in place you have no, you've no choice but to pay and indeed yeah i mean organizations like ourselves and we can certainly do gap analyses and, and understand where people are so short certainly and that is what we have been doing a lot of in recent months um, is looking at an organization doing the gap analysis where are where are your biggest weaknesses and what can we do to what can we collectively do to, to improve that so do you think um, ransomware is, is something that the industry is now mobilizing to actually be able to cope better with if it does become sort of an epidemic um, whether they're coping better or not, I'm not sure at the moment. It kind of remains to be seen because whilst uh, organisations are waking up to ransomware, at the same time and possibly even at a faster rate, ransomware is becoming more and more prolific. And remember, ransomware is still only uh, a fraction, really, of the bigger cybersecurity piece. But uh, I would certainly say that people are waking up to, to, to cybercrime as a whole as a result of being woken up to ransomware, indeed. Good to know. Well, in, in terms of ransomware only being a, a piece, um, it might also be worth talking about Office 365 kind of in isolation. Uh, we're, we're finding now that 90% of intrusions are coming through phishing and social engineering attacks straight into Office 365. I mean, is this environment secure? So you hit a good, um, a good question here, Peter. Um, when we speak about ransomware, uh, most of the time uh, it's uh, attached uh, into... Um, an email okay so and um, what I can tell you is that um, there is um, a huge shift uh, from traditional on-premise Microsoft uh, Exchange to Office 365 and um, and in that way what I mean is that um, Cisco we as a company we offer an industry-leading email security solution to secure even more uh, the Microsoft Office 365 uh, what I mean with that is that um, the Cisco email security, um, if you add it with what we call the advanced malware protection, I was speaking about integrating architecture for email as an example, um, it will offer you more robust security features such as automatic mailbox remediation 
and best-in-class threat intelligence from basically our threat intelligence group, which is TALOS. Um, the other thing that um, we, we're doing at the moment together with our partners is that um, we have a tool in place uh, which we call a threat analyzer, which gives the possibility, and this can be delivered through a service um, of our partners in this case, uh, we can do some deep dive inspection on uh, how the mailboxes uh, are uh, related to malware. So um, I think um, um, to, to be straight on your answer, I think uh, Microsoft Exchange T65 is secure, but um, these attackers today, they are so, um, so intelligent that uh, the malware is getting more complex. And I think by adding that uh, with uh, the Cisco offerings we have today, um, we can get to a much more secure uh, environment. Maskus, now you're ahead of the curve. I think Eve's raised a couple of really good points there, actually, Peter, if you don't mind me just jumping in for a moment. Um, that the, the e email and web are still the biggest attack surface that, that um, hackers are using. Um, we're, we're, we're using, you know, email and web is the forefront of everything businesses do. Um, and so as a result, having that as all our critical data being a route into all of that is, is, is where the hackers are gonna, gonna target their efforts. So absolutely. And, and you know, looking at that and doing the analysis around the web and email is really important. Um, but, but another key important point to note here is that absolutely Office 365 um, is a secure environment. I do, I, I do agree with what Eve is saying, but equally, because we're moving more and more to the cloud, there's almost this, shift between sanctioned and unsanctioned apps as well. So whilst more and more people are using Office 365, they're using that to share and to collaborate, but what are they then doing regarding sharing information beyond that? Let's say you work with a third party or a particular person, you want to share some documents with them. They're on Office 365, or sorry, they're not on Office 365, and you go, okay, well, hold on. How about we just share something via Dropbox? And so then we start moving beyond the realms of Office 365. Mm. And you get you started talking about sanctioned and non-sanctioned that. So I think this is where the sort of security security flaws can really um, really uh, expose a business. So I mean, would you sort of recommend that people are just using as as little stuff as possible and, and trying to work within environments that don't require having to, you know, add more sanctioned apps or, or you know what what would sort of be the utopian approach? Well, I would really say there that the 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 best approach is is obviously to to be is awareness. Awareness is always is always a good a good starting point. Um, because once you move into the realms of cloud, there's this grey areas actually what is sanctioned, what isn't sanctioned. Because organisation, oh, sorry, individuals, sorry, within an organisation, are so accustomed to having access to the data, just taking it a step further by sharing something in Dropbox from a mindset point of view, doesn't seem so bad. It's like, well, hold on, it's all in the cloud anyway. What difference does it make if I share it via Dropbox or I share it via, 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 via SharePoint or a OneDrive link? Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's making them understand and, and doing that analysis because it's, you know, you start to get into the realms of sort of almost shadow IT and, you know, this variation between what's, what's sanctioned and what isn't sanctioned. And in, 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 in ordinary users' minds, that becomes a little bit blurred. Absolutely. And the last thing you want really is, is the IT merger having to just lock everything down and, and then give you know, the ability to do anything uh, because then that, that's just going to affect productivity, I guess, on you know a, a daily basis. So it's, it's about education really and, and about everybody's working together, I guess, look, looking at the right kind of conclusion really. Absolutely, yeah.
So we talked a bit earlier um, about the dark web and, you know, about this idea of being on lists, being bandied around the dark web. Um, I, I guess it's interesting really, really to consider, is the dark web now kind of more prevalent than ever for finding things like hackers for hire or botnets or, you know, doxing apps and services and other kind of nasties? I mean, is it really the, the bogeyman that a lot of people are looking at it as? What can we do? Yeah, I, I think we need to clarify first something, um, Peter, is um, the dark web isn't just for buying drugs and hiring assassins. Um, it's a massive network of websites and communities that exist outside of mainstream internet culture. And there's plenty to do on the dark web without breaking any laws, from book clubs to crisis preparation, as an example. Um, uh, I would say, and if you look to the recommendation, you can find them um, on, on, on yeah, if you Google it in a certain way. Uh, but there's also an, um, an explanation to be given between um, the dark web and the deep web, because there is a difference. Um, and um, I think it's worth, worthwhile to, yeah, to, to clarify that. So the two terms, deep web and dark web, uh, getting mixed up a lot. Uh, but the difference between them is pretty simple. So the deep web uh, refers to anything you can not access in a search engine, either because it's protected behind the password or because it's buried deep within a regular website. The dark web is a subsection of the deep web that you can only access with a special browser like Tor to mask your IP address. And um, if you look into more details, it's important that you use that special browser uh, because that's the way you can access, in a certain way, the dark web environment. And then again, there are methodologies where you can capture uh, anomalies or malwares um, and uh, where I think it's important solely because most of our users often are connected from home uh, when they try to get in there is to have a very secure AnyConnect uh, environment or a VPN environment there. So, uh, yeah, I think, um, I think it's important that we, we don't make uh, the doorway too, bar, uh, too dark, uh, but um, that we, we really know what's, uh, yeah, what's the difference between the dark web and the deep web in a certain way. Yeah, absolutely spot on, uh, Eves. I, I couldn't really put it in more succinctly myself. Um, but, yeah, you absolutely need to, need to not, not consider this, um, this dark web to be in this magical, mystical thing really you know it, it's fairly easily accessible um and 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 i think businesses need to be aware that, that that it's there so by being aware that it's there and it isn't just like like he said it's not just assassins for hire and things um that, that, yeah there is intellectual property and exchanging of, of something as simple as credit card numbers and and even businesses if they do know it's there the likelihood of knowing that, that if they have been compromised they're uh, intellectual property, anything that might might consider, you know, key to their business, you know, might be something as simple as a, a CRM list. Um, that finds its way onto the dark web. You're not going to be too happy about that, but you know, you, you need to be aware that this dark web doesn't exist in a in a magical, mystical place. It's there and it's at arm's reach. Yeah, and and it's becoming a resource really for, I guess, not just individuals that are kind of you know, into that thing or trying to personally profit, but also on something like an industrial level now, I suppose, with, with actual groups, you know, out to kind of form a business around exploiting these sorts of resources. 
so yeah plenty to uh to think about and take in there um i hope we, we've covered all of the uh, relevant topics today but um before we go um maybe if i just ask anish and eves if you have any kind of final takeaways from today's session um maybe anish if we start with you yeah sure um so i think the key thing is uh is the, the point we've tried to try to hopefully get across is that um, it's all about kind of layered security, really. Um, that, that needs to be adopted in every kind of organisation, really. So, so that's a combination of, you know, blocking things like command and control callbacks, which is how malware sort of calls home. Um, you know, understanding like a, undertaking a cloud security assessment, so you can understand what is going on in the cloud. You know, really be aware of that because don't just push everything to the cloud and hope it's all been taken care of. Um, undertake that assessment and have a look. At what is actually taking place and what information is is being shared by your users and of course you know we've talked about employees being trained and being aware that's a, such a key point and it's so often overlooked but yeah ensuring that employees are are trained and regularly updated to understand how to deal with you know things like potential potential phishing attempts so blending all those things together keeping their layered security approach there isn't one one solution that's going to keep your cloud security strategy secure so yeah it's a combination of all of those Sure. Getting your house in order and sticking with a plan. Indeed. Um, Eves, uh, what about you? What's your key takeaway today? I would like to um, to reiterate what Anish was saying on the layered security. I think um, if you look at Cisco um, as a company, we have a strategy in place where it's all about detection of breaches, threats, malware, and basically is to um, yeah. Um, bring the resolution of the detection of breaches to a minimum and um, if you look to Cisco as a strategy uh, and, and the detection uh, we do that in three and a half hours which is um, quite unique in comparison to other vendors into the market uh, and that's key that's uh, really key from an, a strategic perspective you may be going to ask me how, how we do that is that uh, we have an, um, a threat intelligence, uh, which is a group of people, which is around 300 people, who is handling more than 20 billion of malware a day, which is six times more than a Google search. And uh, back to that layered security that Anish was putting forward, is that um, we really believe that um, the way to go is that integrated architecture that you need to have into your construct of uh, your security practices for companies. And um, I'm also convinced like um, a reseller like, um, or a partner like uh, Equilibrium, um, they can do that assessment and they can bring the intelligence around that. And um, so um, let me add just two other things. So one thing is about that integrated architecture or layered security. Um, and the second one is that if you look today to our customers, um, they have built an environment which has become very complex because in their network they have put uh, ad hoc um, individual solutions that is in certain ways even not compatible anymore. So uh, I think that the other thing that uh, customers need to look into that is creating that consistent environment where um, components in security end-to-end -end can interact with each other to know when a malware is happening on where you need to stop it yeah so uh, um, and that's where also the cloud is playing a role where um, if something is happening that with um, 
Technologies like uh, machine learning, as an example, where we do the handling of um, malware in the cloud and then re-injecting basically the solution into the network. So, uh, yeah, so there are um, definitely components uh, on awareness, on being proactive, and I think uh, I'm convinced, like uh, partners like Equilibrium, that they can bring uh, um, definitely added value to the market on doing this assessment and get there. That's fantastic. Thanks. It sounds like a cracking partnership you guys have got, kind of filling in each other's <laughs> gaps. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks a lot. Um, thank you very much, Eves, and thank you, Anish. Uh, and thank you, the audience, for listening to this podcast brought to you today by Computing, Cisco, and Equilibrium. And please look out for the other podcast in this security series entitled GDPR. You've been breached. You have 72 hours to report. What now? And also don't forget to check out computing.co.uk for all the latest news, analyses, and interviews from the UK IT industry. Thanks for listening.